Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Futures for Finance. This week's guest speaker is Alfredo Rivera. He is currently an associate at Brunswick Group, where he advises C-suite, corporate finance groups, and investor relation teams on strategic innovatives and business-critical financial communications. Previously, he worked at Citibank as an investment banking associate at the Banco Popular as a head trader. Alfredo graduated from Yale University with a bachelor's degree in economics, where he was a fresh person conference group leader and a club swimmer. While at Yale, he was a scholarship recipient for exceptional promise to study Mandarin at approved sites in the People's Republic of China. Alfredo went on to get his Master's of Business Administration at Georgetown University, where he's a Beta Gamma Sigma International Honor Society inductee, VP of Social and the Latin American Business Association, and president of Out at MSB. We are so excited to have Alfredo speak with us and share his experiences. My name is Arushi, and I'm back to co-host another episode of Futures for Finance. Hi, I'm Rachel, and along with Arushi, we are both excited to welcome this week's speaker, Alfredo, to the podcast. Welcome, Alfredo. Welcome, you both. Thank you. Uh, let's jump right into the questions. So our first question for you is, can you explain more about what your work entails? What are some day-to-day responsibilities you have as an associate at Brunswick Group? Yeah, so as an associate at Brunswick Group, I uh, mainly focus on financial situations. These entail, you know, M&A, so transactions when a company has decided to acquire someone. Um, it also entails some activism defense. So when, for example, an activist investor tries to shake up a company in management. And then the final third pillar, what I focus on is kind of investor engagement. So this is your typical IR work, so your investor relations. Um, so it's your earnings call and your quarterly earnings prep but it's also investor days and investor conferences that companies decide to partake on in order to engage with their investor base. As an associate, my day-to-day really is is all about kind of client handling. So working with my five to eight accounts, right? Fortune 500 to small cap companies that I'm constantly kind of advising on, on their regular way, kind of strategic and communications approach to these financial situations. One question. So going along with that, what is a activism investor? So an activist investor, um, for example, Carl Icahn, it's these big investors that normally take anywhere from a two to 5% stake in a company because they want to change something. A lot of the times you see them, you know, when they're unhappy with, for example, an M&A. So when a company acquires another company, and they think it, was a, it wasn't a strategic play, right? They think that mm-hmm. the company made a mistake because they either overpaid or they bought something that isn't strategic that won't have long-term value. A lot of times these investors kind of take a, a minority stake in the company with the goal of driving change. By change, it could be, you know, they could ask a company to walk away from a deal. They can also ask, you know, potentially to get a board seat or a few board seats. So so kind of what they aim to do is affect change in a company. It's, It's a little bit of an intimidation tactic, but basically saying, you know, we are here. We want our voices heard and we want to be able to kind of engage in a conversation with you about something that they're not very happy about. Thank you. That makes sense. So going along into our second question. What sort of things did you do or learn at City and previous experiences that helped you with your current career at Brunswick Group? 
Yeah. So a little bit about my background when it comes to Citigroup. So I was an investment banking associate. I interned there uh, in between my first and second year of business school. Um, and then I returned full time. Part of it was because I was a city diversity fellow. So I was sponsored by Citigroup to go to business school with the aim that I would come back and hopefully work with them in the summer and then hopefully work back full time. So as an associate at Citigroup, you know, I focus mainly on strategic uh, alternatives. And by strategic alternatives, what that means is advising companies um, on M&A transactions, but also capital raises. So a company, you know, in regular way, they they sometimes decide to do kind of these big pivotal transactions where they um, acquire one another or they sell or spin off a part of their business. But they also have to, you know, they're constantly thinking of what is the correct capital structure? What is the correct amount of debt? What is the amount of equity that I should have in order to uh, be able to operate, right? To be able to finance kind of my day-to-day operations as well as these big pivotal moments. So as an associate at Citigroup, you know, I focus on mainly kind of thinking through strategic alternatives for uh, a plethora of clients. I was um, in the industrials group, which means that my clients uh, were industrial companies. You can think of these as GE, you can think of your airlines, you can think of that as your shipping companies, your surface transportation logistics, your FedEx. Um, these were kind of the, the clients that I normally serviced. And um, through regular communication, it could be monthly, quarterly, um, we would, you know, come up with ideas of to present the C-suite executives, right, the CEO, CFO, sometimes the board of what they could be doing in order to create value for shareholders. So my main focus, 60% of my time at Citigroup was really focused on M&A transactions. So it was really about kind of doing the valuation work, right? If we were going to propose a company acquire another, we have to tell them how much they would be kind of in the ballpark figure, how much they would be paying for that company. Flip side of that coin would be also advising clients on the sell side. So if a company decides to sell themselves because they think, you know, if we are acquired, we can unlock some potential for our shareholders and hopefully create value that way. So that was another way. But in the same way, we are advising a sell side. So we're telling the company or we're hopefully advising them how much they could get um, if they sold um, a third big pillar of it is a spinoff, right? When a company decides, for example, a GE, it's a good example. GE used to be a huge conglomerate, right? GE had the the typical industrial manufacturing, but they also had a healthcare practice. They had aircraft leasing. So they had a bunch of businesses because they had gotten really big. So um, about five, five years ago, GE started going through a process of really kind of um, evaluating whether all if all these lines of businesses really made sense to them, right? If it made sense for them to own or if it was better that somebody else that was a strategic player owned them because they could vertically integrate and hopefully unlock economies of scale. So a lot of the work that I did as an associate was really thinking through the different um, segments or different businesses that GE, for example, had and, and, and hopefully advise them on which ones they could potentially spin off or sell. Um, to strategic players and hopefully unlock value and focus on kind of their core products or their core kind of strengths in order to to kind of slim down that portfolio and, and really, really focus on what they're good at. So that's kind of what I did at Citigroup. Um, how did that help me kind of to, at my role at Brunswick Group? Well, at Brunswick Group, I kind of did the next step. So as, as associates at Brunswick Group, my job is really to advise these C-suite clients um, on on whether or not they should go through these, these transactions, right? What is the strategic rationale 
um, taking the banker's work, taking that valuation, taking that, 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 that amount or that price that the bankers were advising and that I used to do as a banker at Citigroup, but now taking a step further and really thinking through, okay, so if we do this, how are we going to communicate this? How are we going to tell our shareholders? How are we going to tell, tell policymakers? Are there any risks associated, right? And that was kind of my role at Brentsic Group was really thinking, okay, if they decide to do this pivotal transaction, what does that mean for the company and what does that mean for the different stakeholders and really kind of mapping out that plan. So the good thing is through my work at Citigroup, I really understood the numbers. I understood the valuation work and the bankers work. I could then use that knowledge and really translate it into a more holistic advice that I was able to provide then um, the different clients on, on whether or not the pros and the cons and, and then hopefully come up with a recommendation that not only the C-suite, but that the board would be comfortable with um, when it comes to um, feeling like they were doing their trustee and their fiduciary responsibilities. Oh, that's very interesting. Thank you for that response. And um, moving along to our third question, what are some things that surprised you about the investment banking industry? And uh, what did they tell you in your undergraduate education that was true or false? Yeah, so um, you know there are current there are a few things out there that I think are very true from investment banking banking standpoint. You know, I started as an analyst at UBS, so I not only worked at Citigroup, but I worked at uh, UBS as an analyst beforehand. Um, one thing that should, everybody that's interested in investment banking that should they should be aware of is the long hours, right? So your days won't be nine to five. A lot of times they'll be. 10, 12, 14 hour days. But part of it, um, I think it's a combination of two things. The first one is, you know, a lot of what you do in banking, you actually learn it on the job, right? Um, it's true that you can take a finance accounting course as an undergrad and you can take, you know, certain valuation work as an undergrad, but it's not, it's really when you start doing the work that you actually get to, you know, really grasp the concepts and, and develop those skill sets, right? You know, I think all of us or, or many of us in undergrad worked with Excel, but the level of how you get proficient and really get quick at Excel, you know, really is something that you learn on the job. Not long hours because there's a lot of work necessarily. One thing that surprised me is that at the beginning, you're just very slow, right? As you're learning and kind of getting up to the learning curve, um, it takes you a bit longer. So the reality is that eventually it does get better. And I think that's something that did surprise me because as you get better and you get more proficient at your job, hopefully you start getting quicker. And, and, and another thing that actually did surprise me a lot is that in banking, you're never really reinventing the wheel, right? Um, you know, there's been a lot of smarter pe smart people that have come before you. There's a lot of analysts and associates that have come before you. Um, there's a lot of work that you can leverage when you're kind of putting together a valuation, a model, or where you're putting together a deck. Um, and that's something that I think the efficiency does work. It takes a little while until you get kind of a few reps under your belt and you know where to look for, you know, previous examples. But eventually, I think there's a lot of kind of institutional knowledge that gets passed along in banking. So for the last question, I would say, how has the role of mentors affected your career progression? whether or not it has to do with the advice or how they influenced your decisions. And I think you gave some great tips, but any further tips or advice for students and their career development? Yeah, so mentors, I think, are key. Mentors can be anybody that you met. You could be someone that you met during the recruiting process. It could be someone that you end up working with, right? These are the people that when you're kind of stuck on something or you have an issue, or it could be as small as like, you know, I think I want to take vacation, but I know it's busy. Like, is this advisable? How would you approach it? And that's real questions that I've gotten from analysts, right? Analysts come in it's the first time that they've ever worked, you know, a corporate job, most likely. 
um, and a very demanding job at that. And a lot of times they're kind of maneuvering kind of the culture and kind of the intricacies of understanding what is and what isn't, what's going to look you know, professional, what might be a thing on them. And mentors tend to be those people that because you've developed this professional relationship and sometimes even personal, because you, you end up kind of getting to know, you know, who they are. Those are the people that have natural conversations that eventually, you know, they tend to be people that you can ask questions and hopefully get advice from. Mentors in my professional career, I, I can tell you that I've had multiple mentors. So my specific shift from city group to Princeton group was actually in part due to a mentor. So I had a VP as an associate at Citigroup. I had a VP that I worked very well for a year. It was someone that was from my, from my school. So we had kind of a natural relationship there, but it was someone that we got along. We worked very well. We had, you know, we worked on a few deals. Um, he actually left about a year and a half of meeting at Citigroup. You know, it was kind of a little bit heart-wrenching because um, it was someone that I worked very well with, kind of sad to kind of see him go. What ended up happening is three months after he left, we, you know, we grabbed the ears because we tried to keep in touch. Um, at that point, he started kind of pitching this idea of, you know, I, I've kind of gone to Brunswick Group. I like the work that I'm doing. I like there's a lot of leverage, you know, a lot of skills that I can leverage from my banking days. Why don't you consider a career here? And that's actually how I ended up, you know, eventually, of course, I did my own due diligence and I did my own homework there. Um, but I ended up kind of recruiting and got the job. And of course, they would have probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had that mentor that would have, you know, that I kept in touch even once they've left as an intern is I kept kind of, you know, whenever I was in the city, I didn't go to New York for business school. I was in DC because I was in Georgetown. Um, but whenever I was in New York, I would kind of shoot them a note before and be like, Hey, I'm going to be in the city. when I grab coffee for the people that I had worked with over the summer. And that was just a way to kind of keeping them alive. Similarly, once, you know, people leave and of course I've left Citigroup, but now I make it a point that, you know, once a month or once every two months, I try to get down to Citigroup and kind of meet my old team members and, and kind of, you know, whether it's happy hour after work or, or, or kind of a coffee, but, but try to keep those relationships open because you never know, you know, where, where you'll end up. But that's just something to keep in mind. And, and again, it's, it hopefully will come natural. It's, it's all about kind of rapport and hopefully who you work with and who you kind of click with. Um, thank you for that. So, uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in on another episode of uh, season two. And thank you, Alfredo, for joining us today. To check out all of our brand new content, including our brand new rapid fire speaker sessions and the terms of the week, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify at Futures for Finance and follow our Instagram page at the rate Futures for Finance. As always, be sure to check out all our speakers and connect with Alfredo on our website at futuresforfinance.com. We'll be back next season with another episode and we'll see you then. Thank you so much, Alfredo, another time for this amazing episode. Thank you.